Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time joining us, my name is John. I am the lead pastor around here. Appreciate you guys coming on out, giving us a little bit of time on this Sunday morning or whenever you get a chance to watch this. I hope everybody is doing well and they're safe and, and still practicing social distancing and all that kind of a stuff. But today we are wrapping up this series that we have been calling Dear God. Um, and for the last couple of weeks, we have been just spending a little bit of time talking about the greatest tool that God has ever given his children. And of course, we are speaking about prayer. Now, one of the things that we've sort of landed on in this series over the last couple of weeks is that I think every single one of us at some level, um, at some point struggles with prayer. I think it's just, it's just part of life. And one of the things that we learn is that the disciples, they actually struggled with prayer as well. And I think it's a little bit comforting. These men that Jesus sort of handpicked to do ministry with him, they too struggled with prayer. And one day, as we learned, one day they went up to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, you know, we've been watching you pray and, and you know, we've been praying our whole lives, but whatever you're doing seems different than what we're doing. Would you mind, can you, um, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, yeah, I can, I can do that. And he taught them the Lord's Prayer. And over the last two weeks, we've been sort of using the Lord's Prayer to give us sort of a framework to talk about prayer. In week one, we sort of took a step back and looked at the Lord's Prayer from, let's call it 36,000 feet, and, and we kind of learned about the nature of prayer. And, and, and through the Lord's Prayer, we learned that prayer can be brief, right? It doesn't have to be a really long prayer. It can be simple. It can be plain, meaning it doesn't have to be overly emotional. And it should be confident. Now today, as we kind of wrap up this series, what I want to talk to you about is something that we will all deal with inevitably in our Christian life when it comes to prayer. And so what I want to kind of land on today, just a casual conversation, nothing crazy, but what I want to talk to us about is when we all sort of feel what I'll call frustration with prayer. You, you, perhaps you have felt this. I think we all do. I mean, you know, you're praying for something. I don't know what it is, but it just, it just seems like God is silent. And this thing that you're praying for wasn't crazy, right? It wasn't outlandish. You weren't asking for God to give you a Lamborghini or whatever. I mean, maybe you were. I don't know. But I mean, this thing that you're praying for, is it nuts? It's not crazy. Um, seemingly, it's within the will of God. And yet, nothing seems to happen. Silence. And that's frustrating. And that's disappointing. And that's inevitable. And Jesus knows this. And I think it's encouraging to see that Jesus knows that this is something that we're all going to face because, because Jesus is speaking about this, it lets us know that nothing's wrong. Because a lot of times I feel that when we pray and nothing seems to happen, we begin to think that something's wrong. Either something's wrong with us or something's wrong with God. But Jesus is like, no, this is, this is a, a very common occurrence. Um, it's really nothing to worry about. And, and he says, I'm going to show you what to do about it. And so today what I want to do is I just want to dive into a passage of scripture um, that, is going to, that is going to be Jesus sort of teaching us how to sort of feel about our frustration with prayer and, and what to do about it. Now, before we jump into this passage, I want to talk to you about it um, because this passage is one of those passages where when you read it, you could almost be more confused. 
Has that ever happened to you? Like, you ever, you ever read the Bible and you're reading like a chapter or a, a paragraph or a verse or whatever the case may be, and when you're done, you're like, well, now I'm more confused than ever because, like, uh, I thought I knew Jesus. I thought I knew God. I thought I had a good grasp on this whole Christianity thing, but now I've just read this and uh, it just seems totally contradictory to everything that I have known and been taught. It happens to all of us, right? More frequently than we want to admit, Generally speaking, we're not going to get into the whole thing on this, but generally speaking, when you read something in the Bible that really confuses you, in the sense that it seems contradictory to what you know, generally it, it boils down to uh, just a misunderstanding on our part, or uh, an interpretational issue, or just not getting the context of, of why these things are being said. And that aside, what we're looking at today is one of those passages. Um, and so I just want to I just want to give you a couple of sort of mitigating factors, if you will. I want to teach you about a couple of things that you're going to see that will sort of help to mitigate some of the confusion you might feel or perhaps have felt when you read this passage in the past. Now, the first thing that we're going to see is that today is a parable. Um, if you're unfamiliar with what a parable is, a parable is a fictional story that tells a real truth. Parables are, uh, I would say, the, the, the favorite method of teaching for Jesus. He used them more than anything else. And so Jesus would make up these fake stories, right? Jesus is not a parable. He's not a fake person. But he would make up fake stories, just create them on the spot, maybe, and um, to tell a real truth. And when it comes to parables, we know that you can learn something from the characters in the story, and you can learn something from the scenario as a whole. So today we're going to read a parable. Now, in this parable, we are going to see hyperbole. Now, here's something that I know about Jesus, and you might not know this, but I'm fully convinced of this. I firmly believe that Jesus was hysterical. I really do. I think Jesus was probably really, really funny. Now, the reason we don't see that is because Jesus' style of humor is not our style of humor, right? In, in 2020, you know, what do we like? I don't know. Bathroom humor, or what, I don't know how you would describe what we like these days. But around the first century AD, particularly in that part of the world, the height of humor was hyperbole. And hyperbole, the best that I can describe it, is sort of grand exaggerations. They loved this stuff. This was, if you're doing this, you are like really, really, really funny. And Jesus used hyperbole all the time. For example, um, one of his more famous sort of hyperbolic statements, if you will, was when he said, um, now I'm paraphrasing, um, you guys are quick to point out the speck of dust in your neighbor's eye, yet you don't see the log in your own, right? That's comedy gold. People would have been like rolling over when they heard that. Uh, another example of hyperbole, some of Jesus's humor. In another section, he was speaking about prayer, incidentally. And um, he was talking about spiritual disciplines and prayer. And, and he was like, you know, um, when you give at church, he's like, when you make donations at church, I'm paraphrasing now. He goes, but don't, don't hire like a marching band to go in front of you on your way to the, the giving plate. He goes, don't do that. That's, again, he, this is hyperbole. He's making jokes. And so today you're going to see hyperbole in this passage. And then lastly, one very popular method of teaching that rabbis during Jesus' time would use, there's not really a name for this, but the best way that I can describe it is sort of, it was a teaching method of contrast, right? The contrast method. More specifically, drawing contrast between that which is lesser to that which is greater. 
Um, and you've seen this before, a couple weeks ago. If you think back to the message on worry, Jesus used this message, uh, method with us when he said, uh, what did he say? He goes, if God, if God takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, that which is lesser, if God takes care of the birds and the flowers, how much more will he take care of you? That's the contrast method. And you're going to see that today. So today you're going to see a parable. You're going to see hyperbole, which is grand exaggerations, trying to sort of create shock appeal, if you will. Um, and you're going to see Jesus using the contrast method. So let me set the scene for this passage. The disciples, they asked Jesus, can you teach us to pray? Jesus taught them the Lord's Prayer, and what we read today comes immediately following the Lord's Prayer, like the very next line. Jesus says this. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story, this parable. He says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, and you say to him, a friend of mine, has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. So let's just sort of make sure that we understand the setting of this story. Um, one night, you know, 10, 11 p.m., you get a knock on your door, and it's your buddy Mike from college, right? You haven't seen Mike in 20 years. He's looking good. He's married now. He's got a couple of kids. He shows up, and, and you realize that you have no food to offer your company. Right? You got no coffee brewed, there's no Sanka available, you got no Entenmann's cake, there's nothing. That's not going to be good, that's not going to work, what kind of host are you? So you tell Mike, you know what, Mike, hold on one second, I'm going to go next door, I'm going to see if my neighbor's got any food that perhaps we might be able to borrow. You go next door, and when you knock on the door, the neighbor, according to Jesus, yells out, don't bother me, okay? Don't bother, which by the way, is now like, my favorite verse in the Bible. This During the quarantine period, this is like my life verse. I've been quoting this all week to my wife. Don't bother me, all right? Luke 11, 5. It's a great, great verse. But this is like, this is something that I can really relate to. I don't know about you, but I can relate to this because when my doorbell rings in my house, it's kind of like, what is that? Is that the doorbell? Nobody say a word. Shut the lights, okay? Mute the Okay? Nope. And then, like, I'm not going to go to that door. What am I saying? And I can't look out my front window because then they're going to see me. So what do you do? You pull up the Ring camera app because I'm not interested, you know, currently or ever in answering my front door. So I get this very much, right? So the grumpy neighbor, he yells out and he says, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Okay? Sorry. I just, I can't help you. Now, this right here is a very relatable scene to Jesus' original audience because the vast majority of them, according to historical documents, would have slept, um, or would have lived, for that matter, in a one-room house. And they would have all slept in one bed. Can you believe that? And that bed, generally speaking, might have been nothing more than a straw mat. So you got this bed in this one-room house. You got the husband, you got the wife, you got a couple of kids. They're all in there, very comfortable, just Really quality sleep going on back then. Um, now, here's something that I've learned about children that are sleeping. I don't have kids. I got a nephew. I got a bunch of friends that have children. But one of the things that I've learned is that when kids finally go to sleep, parents treat them like they are 
live grenades. It's like, oh, buddy, move. Don't say a word. I, I got like nitroglycerin in my hands, okay? So that's sort of what we got going on here. The neighbor's like, my man, it is midnight. The kids are sleeping. Would you take a hike with the bread stuff? All right, get out of here. Now Jesus wraps up this parable. And he says this, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. This is quite the parable. I mean, I imagine the disciples hearing this one and they're like, are we going to put this one in the Bible? Like, is this one going? And like, are we putting this, are we putting this one in? Because when it comes to parables, they're like, we know, I mean, we get how parables work. We understand that, you know, one of these characters is supposed to be me. The other character is supposed to be God. And they're like, you remember the, par the prodigal son? That was a good parable. Um, you know, and the prodigal son, the one son takes all the dad's money, goes, goes out, lives wildly, spends it all, wastes it. That's us. We get that. And, and the dad who sees the son coming back and runs to the son and lovingly embraces the son. That's God. That's a, now that's a parable. Gosh, that's a good parable. So hold on. Jesus, wait. Are you saying, are you saying that we are the annoying neighbor knocking on the door and, and God is the grumpy guy inside saying, don't bother me. I mean, is that what you're saying? Now, if you're like me, this is a little confusing, isn't it? I mean, this is one of those parables, and perhaps you felt this. Maybe you've read this exact parable and you go, something seems off with this parable. Now, remember, it's a parable. So this is a fictional story that Jesus just made up. There's hyperbole in it. So there is humor. Um, there is added shock value. And Let's not forget, he is using the contrast method of teaching. So with this slightly odd, slightly off-putting parable, Jesus is teaching us something. He's saying, unlike man, there's your contrast, unlike man, God is not bothered by your persistence, and he's often moved by it. He's teaching us that God is not bothered when you keep praying and you keep praying and you keep praying. In fact, he's honored by it. In, in, in ministry, and I've seen this so many times, I've seen this in DHC and other churches, there, I, I've, I've spoke with folks who are just in a tough situation. You know, and they come up to me and they say, John, you know, we got this thing going on in our lives and hey, we've been praying and we've been praying, but we just feel like, we feel like we're bothering God about it. You ever feel like that? Like you feel like you're bothering God about a prayer request? Yeah. Well, according to this parable, you're not. In fact, every single time that you pray, and you pray, and you pray, God is honored. In fact, I would argue that God is glorified by your continued prayer. See, what we learn is that Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. He hands them the Lord's prayer, and he follows it up in this parable by basically saying, and don't quit praying. Never give up because your persistent prayer has the potential to move the heart of God. Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and the door will be opened to you. This is perhaps 
one of Jesus' most favorite, I mean, uh, famous sayings. Top five, top ten at least. One of the most famous sayings. Now, a little bit of a problem with this particular saying, with this particular translation, I should say. Even though this is, you know, albeit the most famous translation, it causes a little bit of confusion for us as English speakers. Because when we read it and we see that we are to ask and seek and knock, well, it leads us to believe that this is a one-time thing. Right? You ask once and, and, and well, you, you get what you ask for. Um, it's kind of like, you know, I prayed Tuesday and nothing happened. You know, my, my marriage, it's, it's on the rocks. And I prayed Saturday night and, 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 and by Monday, it was, still, it was still very much on the rocks. Well, if you go back and you look at the original Greek translation. What you see is that Jesus actually used a verb tense that means that these actions should be continually carried out. I was able to find a better translation. And, and what Jesus actually said that day was something more along the lines of, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. What Jesus is teaching us here is that your Heavenly Father wants you to ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock and ask and seek and knock. Why? Not because he wants to hear you beg. If that's how we're understanding this, then we're misunderstanding this. It's because God, according to Jesus, is moved by our consistent, persistent prayer. Jesus proves this by saying, for everyone, who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. It's just, it's amazing. But I was, I was reading this this week, and I was just thinking about the parable and, 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 and what I've learned about prayer in the past, and it left me wondering something. It left me wondering, is there more to this persistent prayer idea than meets the eye? Is there, is there more going on than just this persistent, consistent prayer? Because, I, I mean, I do believe that God absolutely 100% is moved by our persistent, consistent prayer. I mean, even in my own life, there have been times where I have prayed about an issue for months. Months. Seemingly with no answer from God, only for one day to God for him to open up the door. I, I mean, I've heard many stories from you guys how you have been praying, some of you, for years, upwards of a decade, for no answer, seemingly getting silence from heaven, all of a sudden, one day, God said, yes, there are examples all throughout Scripture of, of just sort of this back-and-forth conversation in prayer. I'll call it sort of prayer negotiations that, that go on for quite some time between God and man. I'm thinking of it, if you're a Bible reader, I'm thinking of the story of when um, Abraham— was sort of going through prayer negotiations with God about the city of Sodom. Remember, he said, hey, God, um, and this is in prayer, if, if, if there are 50 righteous people in the city, will you spare the city? And God's like, yeah, I will. For 50? I'll spare that city for 50. Abraham's like, good, good, good. Okay. Um, how about for 45? Would you do it for 45? And God's like, you know what? Yeah, I'll do it for 45. Good, good, good. 40? Yeah, I can do it for 40. Okay, good. All right, good. Awesome. Hey, since we're talking, 
30, and on and on they go, down to, I think it was like one or five, I can't remember, but it was just like this ongoing prayer. So clearly God responds to this persistent, consistent kind of prayer conversation. But I was just wondering, is there any other reason why God might lead us, for lack of a better term, lead us into this season of prolonged, persistent prayer? And I think there is. I think there is. First, the first thing that we have to remember is something that Jesus taught about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we haven't covered this yet, but you've probably heard this before. Maybe not. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, just so you guys know when we're talking about prayer, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, that's amazing. Your father actually knows what you need before you even pray. So that's important to know. It's important to understand that when you pray, you're not, shall we say, catching God up to speed on the details of the situation, all right? God is not up there in heaven with like a, a pen and paper going like, okay, hold on, wait, 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 slow down, slow down. What was that again? Okay, you, all right, so you need your insurance company, and who do you use? Okay, Aetna. Okay, you need your insurance company to cover a particular prescription, got it, and can you spell that for me? Okay, that's an X, got it, A, N, uh-huh, A, X, got it. All right, let me see if I can, let me just see what I can do with that. Understood? Okay, now, hearing Jesus say this, that your father already knows what you need before you pray, this might actually muddy the, the waters even more in terms of the prayer conversation. Because now you're like, wait, 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 hold on. If he already knows what I need, why am I praying? I don't understand why I'm praying if God already knows what I need. And for that matter, why do I have to pray persistently sometimes? What is the deal with that? Well, the reason is, the reason is that something happens in prayer. Something happens when we pray. See, prayer is not just about getting what we need or want, right? We talked about that last week, how so many times I'm Guilty of this too. So many times we turn our prayers into shopping lists. And we're just kind of like, here God, I need X, Y, and Z. Can you just handle this for me? Thank you very much. Talk to you later. Okay? Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, taught us about how to expand sort of the breadth and depth of our, of our, of our prayer life. But many times, in fact, I might say most times, God is trying to teach us something and trying to grow us through these times of prayer. See, one of the byproducts, I believe, of, of persistent prayer is that repetition leads to comfort, and comfort leads to confidence. I mean, you've, you've seen this in your own life, whether it's um, you know, a new sport or a new job or a new skill. At first, you're just very uncomfortable with it. It's just unnatural. You're, just, you're a little awkward with it. You're not comfortable, but the more you do it, what happens? The more you do that thing, the more comfortable you get. And the more comfortable you get, the more confidence you have in that new job or in that new sport or with that new skill. Well, the same goes with prayer. In week one, we talked about how Jesus says that he really wants us to have confidence when it comes to our prayer life, when it comes to speaking to God. Paul kind of captures this in, in Ephesians 3.12. He says, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. We, we, we learn from this that because of what Jesus did on the cross, 
Our pathway to God in prayers is wide open, smooth sailing. It's clear cut right to God. But many of us still struggle sort of realizing or internalizing this confidence. And I believe, right, just my opinion, I believe that when God doesn't immediately answer our prayers, right, when he allows us to sort of enter into this prolonged season of persistent prayer, I think he's putting us in training. I do. I think he's putting us in training because repetition is slowly but surely making us more comfortable in speaking to him, giving us more confidence in speaking to him. And that's big because God really wants to just hear from us. One of, one of the other byproducts of, of this persistent prayer is that it leads us in, into what I'll call constant contact. That's what God wants. And, and I'm not talking about the email service, all right? He just wants to be in constant contact with us. God simply wants to hear from his children. And I think this season of prolonged prayer is, quite frankly, one way for him to train us to have a dialogue with him. Paul kind of touches on this when he was speaking to a group of believers in Thessalonians and Thessalonia. And he says, pray continually. Some translations say, pray without ceasing and give thanks. Whatever happens. See, in our day-to-day as Christians, there are going to be specific times when you pray, right? You might stop to pray before a meal. You might stop to pray before you go to bed, all right? There, There are specific times when we stop and when we pray. But the ultimate goal, I believe, of the Christian life is to live a life of prayer. I think the ultimate goal is to be in constant communication with our Heavenly Father. I think that's really, really, really what God and Jesus want for us. The best way to think about it is sort of that text chain you got with your one friend that just kind of goes throughout the day. It's just one long dialogue. That's what God wants with us. And and one minute we are praying for a friend, the next minute we are giving God thanks, and on and on and on we go. But one of the most crucial aspects, one of the most crucial things that I believe happens when we persist in prayer is that persistence provides clarity. Let me unpack this for you, what I'm trying to say by this. When we ask and seek and knock, that is like focusing in, right? When we ask and seek and knock, that is sort of focusing in, laser focus. That is us saying, God, I am going to hang on to this and I am not going to let go. And in the process of this persistent prayer, in the process of asking God for days or weeks, maybe months, maybe even years, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes during this process, the Holy Spirit begins to work on our heart. And all of a sudden, after this prolonged period of prayer, you begin to realize that you have been praying for the wrong thing. That this thing that you've been praying desperately for is not God's will for your life. In fact, what he wants for your life is over there. I mean, you've been praying for this thing, but all the while what he wants for you is way over there. And you never would have known that but for the fact 
that you've been drilling down on prayer every single day. Now, the amazing thing about discovering God's will for your life is that while that over there, like you've been praying for that at all, while that thing looks nothing like what you've been praying for, that doesn't look like the plan that you had for your life. That doesn't look like the thing that you wanted for your life. When you finally discover the will of God for your life, you are at peace. And isn't that what we all really, really want? See, I think when we think about prayer, we think that prayer is all about getting God to do what we want him to do. That's just what it is. We're going to get God to do what we want. But often, many times, Prayer is God aligning our will with his. And so if you are persistent in your prayer, God will do something in your life. That is what Jesus tells us. He will draw you nearer to him. He will align your will to his perfect will. And many, many, many times, he will give you exactly what you asked for. And sometimes he will bless you beyond your wildest dreams. So, what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it is your first time watching Downtown Harbor Church, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you need. So, this week, what I want to be sort of meditating on and thinking about is just this question. What's that one thing you've been praying for? You've probably been thinking about it this whole time. What is that one thing that you've been praying for? And I'm not talking about everyday, ordinary needs. I'm talking about what is that one thing that you are so concerned about? What is that one thing that you are unbelievably burdened over? That you just, you just can't stop thinking about it. I mean, is it, is it a, a wayward child? Is it, is it a marriage that's on the rocks? What is that one thing that you are so passionate about that you can't help but knock on the doors of heaven every single day and every single night? Lord, answer. Lord, if you don't help me with this, it is not going to happen. What is that one? See, Jesus, in terms of prayer, could have talked about a dozen topics. But he landed on this. That when you pray, don't give up. When you pray, don't give up. Just because heaven seems silent, keep asking. Just, just because you haven't found the answer yet, keep seeking. Just, just because no one has come to the door right away, keep knocking. Because, because you don't know what's happening behind the scenes right now as we speak. You don't know what God is doing in you right now. You don't know what God is doing through you right now at this very instant. I mean right now, in this very instant. God could be orchestrating everything around you to give you your heart's desire. See, one thing that I do know for certain is that God does not work on our timetable. 
He is so much bigger than our timetable. God can see the past. God can see the present. God can see the future. He can see it all at the same time. He hears your requests. That's what Jesus tells us. He hears your requests. And he could be, right now, he could be up there moving the pieces of your life around like chess, trying to give you what you've asked for, just like a loving father. So don't give up. Keep on praying. Because this season of persistent prayer might be God preparing you, changing you, getting you ready for the greatest blessing of your life. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we have the opportunity to come together today. I want to thank you for the technology that you have provided that we can still meet and talk about your son Jesus from the comfort and safety of our own home. Lord, if there's one thing that I know, many of us are burdened with prayer. There are so many of us, God, that have been praying and praying and praying, Lord, and perhaps we felt like we were bothering you. And I thank you for this parable, Lord, that we can be encouraged to know that you are not bothered, that you are honored by our persistent prayer. But my prayer today, right now, Lord, is that you would meet these folks at the place of their need. Lord, that you would grant them, if it is your will, you would grant them this request and that they might be able to honor you and glorify you because of it. Be with us, Jesus. Continue to keep us safe. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross and giving us access to our heavenly Father. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name.